Good morning, guys. How are we doing today? You guys are beautiful. God loves you guys. You guys look good today. See big smiles, very alert. Makes me happy. I'm so blessed to be up here. Thank you, guys. All right, so today we are going to finish 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 through 40. <clears throat> the title of my message is Order in the Church. I feel like I need a gavel today. Just be like, order in the church. But I don't have one, so maybe next time I teach this message, I, could, I should get a gavel. So last week, we took a look at the gift of tongues in more depth. Um, we know that not everyone is gifted with the gift of tongues. But as Paul says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Um, so we should desire this, the gifts of tongues. We should desire spiritual gifts that God wants to bestow upon us. It's a good gift. It's a private prayer language that we have with the Lord, um, where our spirit speaks to him. And last week after the service, I had multiple people come up to me and ask questions, you know, like, Josh, what exactly is happening when you speak in tongues? Like, we understand the application of don't be selfish in church and come to church wanting to serve people with your gifts and bless people. But what is happening when people are speaking in tongues? So I thought I'd clear it up because that means there's probably more than, than two or three of you that are maybe confused on that, that subject. So here's how I put it simply. So the body and the spirit are two separate entities, <clears throat> right? So your body will pass away. Our spirit will live on forever, whether it's in heaven or in the lake of fire. It's eternal. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, right? So there's clearly... Two separate entities regarding the body and the spirit. So what happens is, when you're speaking in tongues, that is your spirit speaking directly to the Lord. That's all it is. It's a heavenly language. It's heavenly talk to God. John 3.12 says, If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you in heavenly things? So again, as... as uh, Jesus was telling Nicodemus here, you know, if I tell you in worldly things, which some of us don't even really understand, how will will we believe him or understand him if he speaks in heavenly terms? So that's what tongues is. It's speaking in a heavenly language because it bypasses what we can understand. It's direct communication with the Lord on his level. So we have to remember that our body, our flesh is corrupt and it is our enemy, right? It's working against us. But in Christ, reborn through Christ, our spirit is pure. As Jesus continues in the book of John, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So when we are born again, we were once spiritually dead, and now we are spiritually alive. So with the gift of tongues, our spirit is speaking directly to God. Which is always a giving of thanks, a praise, thinking of blessings to the Lord. It's never God to man. Right? So it's important to understand that, that all it is is just giving thanks, praising God. That's what tongues is. It's clearly written in the scriptures. <clears throat> so we learned last week in the setting of corporate church in the presence of the body of Christ, if someone is speaking in tongues, there has to be interpretations or it should stop. If there's no interpretation, how will that praising, how will that giving of thanks edify the body of Christ? It won't because we can't understand it. It's just like speaking into the air, as Paul says. And again, the purpose of the church, the purpose of what we are doing here today 
is for the body to be strengthened, for the body of Christ to be edified, not for one individual to be edified or strengthened or lifted up. It's for the entire body of Christ. So whether we're coming to church on Sundays or we're going to the college career study on Tuesdays or the Wednesday night studies or the women's study, the men's study, the marriage study, Yanyo, J19, we should always approach it with that attitude that, yes, I want to get fed from the Lord. I want to receive what you have for me, but we also need to go with open hands and have a heart that is willing to use our gifts to bless others. And that's what we looked at last week, the attitude of the heart. So today we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians 14, verses 20 through 40. So let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. The Bible says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are a sign for not to those who believe, but to those who unbelieve. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are all out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convinced by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, at the most, three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others judge. But if anything is revealed to another by who, who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, Desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking of tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Dear Lord, again, we just thank you for this time where we can come together as your body, Lord, as your church, as your people, as your children, and just get fed by you, Lord. Just that your spirit is among us, that it is present with us, that it is moving and convicting and encouraging our hearts right now, Lord. I pray that you would use me, Lord, to just encourage your people, to prophesy, to benefit them, Lord. I pray that my words would be yours, 
and not my own, and that they would glorify you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in verse 20, Paul starts off by saying, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. So in this section, he starts off by reminding the church in Corinth the importance of maturity during the church service or during the church worship. Right? So he's correcting them again. He states, do not be children in your understanding. So he's telling them, stop being prideful, stop being selfish like children in regards to your spiritual gifts. Because as we know, the church of Corinth was acting up. They were exercising their gifts out of order. And they were doing this because they wanted attention, because they wanted to be seen more spiritual than others. Right? And as I pick up my son from daycare at the kinder care he goes to, that's what I notice among the children. That's how they act, because they're children. Right? You have two teachers, or three, four kids per teacher, and that's not enough for a child. That's not enough attention for a child. They have needs. Right? So over here, you got this kid spilling his milk. You got that kid pulling that girl's hair. You got this kid throwing blocks against the wall. It's just, they're all fighting for attention because they all want the attention of the teachers. They're, be, they're trying to be selfish, but that's a need a child has because it's a child. He doesn't know. But Paul is telling us here, don't be like children. Don't act like children. Don't be selfish and try to take all the credit. Try to take all the attention. And that's exactly what was happening during these church services is people were trying to show how holy they were or just to get attention in any way they could. So we should not be children in our understanding. He tells us in malice, we should be like babes. So malice is evil thoughts or wanting to hurt somebody. Right? So a six-month-old baby is not crawling around the house scheming of how they're going to hurt somebody physically, emotionally, spiritually. They're not going to do that. That's not the way babies' minds work. So it relates to us the same way. We shouldn't be coming to church with preconceived notions of who we can gossip about, whose dirty laundry we can air, who we can make look less than we are to make us look better. We shouldn't have that malice mindset. We should be like babes where it's, we don't even think about it. It's not even a thought in our head. It's not relevant. That's how we should act as mature believers in Christ, without malice. And lastly, he tells us to be mature in our understanding. So maturity is something that I've noticed, especially in my generation, the millennial generation, is it's starting to go away. It seems to be politically incorrect to be mature, to say things like, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, to open the door for somebody, to not burp or fart in front of someone you don't know. We're losing our manners to dress in clothes that work that are appropriate, to have a haircut at work that's professional. Showing up late to work, having excuses, these little things that show maturity in an adult, we should be showing the same maturity in believers in Christ. Even the movies we watch, the movies like the hangover movies, right? It's just, it's terrible. They walk around and they they party, they have terrible language, Rejoicing in different sexual situations, it's immature, and people are rejoicing in that. They're enjoying the immaturity. But that's not how we should be acting as Christians, as mature believers in Christ. These three attributes are what the church of Corinth was doing wrong. They were being children in their understanding, they were being malice, and they were not mature. And they were not mature, especially when it came to the gift of tongues. 
and the attitude behind it of self-pride. They were not exhibiting these qualities. In verse 21, Paul cites from the Old Testament. He, He writes, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. So he's saying in the Old Testament times, right, God would use prophets to speak to his people in different tongues, different languages, and God himself would speak directly to his people. So he's saying, why are you guys putting so much emphasis on the gift of tongues that people can't understand, people can't benefit from the gift of tongues when you have people that can clearly hear the prophecy, can clearly hear the message, can clearly get things from the Lord, and they still aren't listening. They're still not understanding. So if people are already missing the mark in a language they can understand, why are you going to try to throw this at them and confuse them more? That's what he's saying. They're already not listening to God. They already know what God's calling them to do, and they're not listening already. So how more are they going to listen if you're speaking in a language they're just like, what's happening here? It's not going to benefit them. It's that tongue's attitude. You know, people will discuss studies and services that they've heard in church. You know, oh, let me tell you what I learned today. Let me tell you what I learned in church this week. Right? But learning is also applying what you learn. Right? So if you say, oh, I learned that I should love my neighbor, but you're not in fact loving your neighbor, did you really learn that at church? If the Bible, if you say you learned how to put others above yourself, but you're number one in your life, are you really learning that at church? Is that what you really learned today? Or did you just hear it? So maybe they should say, let me tell you what I heard at church. I heard you're supposed to be nice to your neighbor. I heard you're supposed to put others first. I heard you're supposed to pick up your cross daily and and die to self. I heard those things, but I didn't really learn that because I don't really practice it. So they're missing the mark on things that are already clearly defined in the scripture. So how much more are they going to miss the mark when they don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. Verse 22 through 25. We see a bit of a rhetorical questioning going on here as Paul challenges the church. He says, Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for those who are unbelievers, but those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and they are come in who are uninformed or unbelievers, they will not say, or will they not say, that you who are out of your, that you're out of your mind? Right? So he's saying, if right now, during this church service, someone came in who is not a believer, who has a desire to get close to God, to learn who God is, comes into our church, and we have all of you just speaking in tongues randomly, they're going to be like, what is going on here? This is craziness. I am so confused. I come here to learn about the Lord because I have a desire. And these people are just talking a bunch of jib-jab. Right? I mean, most people think we're crazy already because we're Christians. I mean, we don't need to add the, the confusion of everyone speaking in tongues without interpretation to our resume. Okay? Because people already think we're nuts enough. We do that, that fine on our own. <coughs> then we see, but if all prophesy... An unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. 
So the purpose of prophecy is for God and his truth to be proclaimed. So how can that happen if people literally don't understand what you're saying? How can the truth be proclaimed? How can that resonate in our minds if people don't understand what's being taught? The effect of prophecy on an unbeliever, the effect of the word of God on the unbelieving heart and the unsaved uh, soul is, number one, to be convicted of sin. Right? So they hear the prophecy, they hear the message, they hear that they fall short of the glory of God, that everybody falls short of the glory of God, and they are convicted of their sin. They hear a message like, thou shalt not lie. Oh man, Noah, yeah, I do lie. They're convicted. God shows them that. Number two, to take account of the sin, to own up, really to own that, like, yeah, I do lie. I probably shouldn't do that. That's not a good thing. I do steal. I do commit adultery in my mind. I do those things, right? So they own up to it. And then number three, to examine the sinful condition of their heart. Okay, so I'm definitely a sinner. I lie. I shouldn't be lying. Now, why do I lie? Why do I feel the need that I have to lie? Why do I feel the need that I have to steal? Why do I have the need to watch pornography? Why do I have these needs? So they start to look into their heart. They start to examine their sinful condition. That is what prophecy does to the unbelieving heart. It changes it. It starts to tug on the heartstrings, as you may, may have heard that expression. So the trifecta of this causes an unbeliever to truly be moved by the Spirit of God. For people to recognize that what we're doing here is far more than just a religion. You know, you hear that. Oh, yeah. Kind of that mindset that all religions are the same. You know, I really like Buddhism because that kind of fits my style more. Or, you know, I like Judaism because I like the, um, <clears throat> I like the rituals that go along with Judaism. You know, Christianity is not really for me. So they think it's like a pick and choose thing. They think it's just a set of rules and regulations that everybody has to apply to their lives and which one fits best. So it's far more than the way you live your life. Christianity is far more. Jesus is far more than the way you live your life. It is the way you live your life. It is the way we were created to live our lives. It is true, and the Spirit of God is truly among us now. His presence is among us now. I felt it during the worship. I feel it now as the Word of God is going out. I felt it where you guys are sitting as a message will be preached and God will convict my heart and my heartbeat will start going real fast and my blood pressure will start to rise and I just feel the conviction on my heart of what's being proclaimed. You just know that he's here and you can feel it. Everything just starts to make sense. Week after week, you come to church and it's as though the pastor is speaking directly to your life like he has a hidden camera in your life. Like, man, how did you know? Like, I'm struggling with that. How did you know I did that last week? Who told you? It's not that the pastor knows. It's not that anybody knows. It's that God knows because God knows your needs. God knows who you are. But that can't happen as effectively without order among the church. We have to have order in the church for that to happen because he is a God of order. So we have to not only have the body of Christ and the strengthening of the body of Christ and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in mind when we come here together and we gather, we also have to have the hearts of the unsaved that are among us in mind. We have to have the souls of the lost that come in maybe one-off time and take a chance on coming to church. We have to have those people in mind when we gather too. We have to have an opportunity to allow the Spirit of God to move, to convict 
to encourage those people, to show him that he, in fact, is real, that it is true that he is among us. So when people come into the house of the Lord, they should never leave the same. When you come come into contact with the presence of the living God, you should never be the same again. And that's what we want to create in the church of Christ. That's what God has intended for the church of Christ, that when unbelievers come in contact with the body of Christ, that they are changed, that they can feel the difference, they can feel the spirit, they can feel God's hand on those people. Just like my own life, the, day I, the first time I felt the presence of the living God in my life, I have never been the same. Depression, anxiety, worries about money, worries about am I good enough, insecurities, all changed since that day. And people ask me, did you take medicine? Did you go to counseling? Did you take antidepressants? I say, no. The only thing that has changed in my life since then, besides those things being gone, is Jesus Christ. That's it. He is the changing factor in my life. He is the one true reason why I no longer have to worry about depression and anxiety and feel like I'm not good enough and I'm not loved because he has been inserted into my life. Insert Jesus here. And that's what people should feel when they're around us. They should feel the love of God. Verse 26 through 33. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at most three, each in turn, and let only one interpret. But there is no interpretation. Let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the church of Corinth must have had a pretty interesting service. Like if you watch in, like it's about to go down. It's going to get crazy up in there. Like I almost want to go just to like experience it because it just sounds nuts. Like a big Holy Spirit jambalaya. Just a little bit of everything going on at the same time. There's so much flavor, so much spice. But it leaves you with a tummy ache because it's, it doesn't really go together. It's not the way it's supposed to be. At least for me, I have a, I have a pretty tough stomach. But. So in this church, we see here, in these services, you come together. Each of you has a psalm. Each has a teaching. Each has a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation, right? So... Let's pretend we're the church of Corinth right now. So I'm up here teaching, prophesying. We got someone over here, stands up, I have a word from the Lord, and they start proclaiming. While I'm teaching, while he's proclaiming, this group, seven, eight people start speaking in tongues. And then that group in the back starts interpreting the tongues. And then this guy in the back starts reading from the book of Psalms. And it's just all happening at the same time. And it's like, what is going on? And everybody's fighting for attention And the Holy Spirit is just like, I don't know what's going on. There's too much going on here. That's what's happening in this section. And it's like right now, as Paul addresses, he's coming in and he sets his gavel. He says, order in the church. Stop your craziness. You're out of line. We need order in the church. You're all doing it wrong. So Paul lays out the guidelines for what should be going on here. 
like children. He says, come here, children. Let me teach you about the rules of church. So number one, he says, no more than three people speaking in tongues. If it's going to happen, no more than three. There shouldn't be seven, eight, nine, ten people speaking in tongues. Okay, first of all, about tongues, it's not an uncontrollable gift. It's not like you get the feeling and the, the Lord overtakes your body and you just can't help and you just have to blurt out the tongue. It's not like that. You can control the tongue. You have to be mature. You have to contain it. It's not like it's an unstoppable force. The Lord just takes over your body and you just start speaking all this different language. That's not the way it works. Number two, if there's no interpretation of tongues, it needs to stop. You need to just keep it to yourself between you and the Lord because you can control it, just stop. Right? Not a big deal. Rule three, only allow at most three people to prophesy and let it be done one by one. So people are going to speak in church, prophesy, proclaim the, proclaim the Lord's truth should be at most three, one by one, take turns. <clears throat> so God is not the author of confusion, as you see here in verse 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as at all the churches of the saints. So God does not give contradicting messages. You know, I've met people like that over the course of my life. Every week, every time I see them, they seem to have a new word from the Lord. Or the Lord's speaking to me. The Lord told me this. Right? And me, I'm kind of like, mm, sounds a little crazy. But I'm not going to speak for God because my voice is not greater than God. So I just let him figure it out. Right? But one week, the Lord's calling me to serve in this ministry. And then actually, the next week, he's taking me out of that ministry and I'm going to go serve over here. And then the next week, actually, I'm going to do worship. No, the next week, I'm going to go teach college. Actually, no. Right? So every week, they have a different word from the Lord. And at first, I'm like, man, that's pretty awesome. You're pretty spiritual. Like, I, don't, I only heard the Lord from like two, three times in my life, and you're hearing from it like daily. You're doing the work. But as we see over time, it's not consistent, and they don't stick with it. And it turns out to be more of the desire of their hearts and to be seen a certain way by other people. So God will not call someone, say, to do worship, and then the next week call them out of worship. It doesn't make any sense. It's not the God we serve. 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. He is not a man that should change his mind. He's not going to say, never mind, just kidding. It's not going to happen. If he calls you to do something, he's calling you to do something for a reason, for an impact on his people. Just like if you have people trying to lead in ministry, and one person says, I think the Lord is saying we should go this way, Another person is saying we should go this way, and they're contradicting messages. That's not the way the Lord works. So obviously someone is hearing from the Lord, and somebody is not hearing from the Lord. And that's how you get confirmation. If you go to someone that you're serving with, and you say, you know, this is, the Lord put this upon my heart. I think we should go serve, um, we should go down to Little Saigon and start witnessing. Oh, dang, the Lord told me that too. Great, that's a confirmation. Not, oh, the Lord's calling us to go down to Little Saigon and witness. And someone else is like, no, he's calling us to go to La Habra to witness this weekend. That's contradicting. So somebody's not getting something from the Lord. You've got to figure out what it is. Or even maybe a greater extreme, someone's saying, we should go out and evangelize. And no, maybe we should just chill and have a Bible study. That's not, that contradicts itself. So somebody's not getting something from the Lord. But when you get that confirmation, it's like you're on the same same level as Jesus. You're on the same page, and that's kind of nice. 
And I was telling Pastor Johnny this morning, um, when I first started teaching at College Career, not going to lie, I'll be truthful with you guys, like I used to go through commentaries and I would just kind of write it down word for word. I'm like, dang, this is some good stuff. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the heck out of this. I'm not going to teach it, but I'm going to read the heck out of this study because this is some good stuff. And then I would teach it and just pff, fall flat. No power because it's, it's not my study, right? So now I've learned... I'll sit with the text and I'll pray about it and I'll say, Lord, what do you want to teach your children? What do you want me to tell them? And I'll make an outline and then I'll go read some commentaries and then I'll see how it matches up and how it lines up and then I'll kind of maybe take a little of this. That's kind of cool. Didn't think about that and I'll throw this one out. His is better. But, you know, I like to get an outline from the Lord. I like to let the Lord do the study. And that's what happened. Monday, Johnny texts me. He says, hey, I got this great commentary I want you guys to read or I want you to read. Let me know what you think. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm, you know, yesterday he calls me up and says, hey man, what'd you think of the commentary? I so badly just wanted to say, I really liked it. It was so good, but I'm not going to lie because that's not good. I'm like, you know, I didn't read it. And I felt kind of bad, but I know my process because I felt like I did something I should, I should, I didn't do something I should have done. Like, oh, I probably should have read that. But I have my process because that's how I work. So I finished my study yesterday and then this morning I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the commentary. And as I was reading it, it like matched up almost simultaneously with the notes that this guy had. And I'm like, dang, that's so cool. Like, I came up with the same stuff that he came up with. Which shows me that the Lord is working. This is the right message because it confirms it. Because his message isn't opposite of mine. It's in fact in line. So that's how you get confirmation from the Lord because he's not the author of confusion, of peace. So that's how you know if God puts something on your heart and over and over and over again, it's impressing upon your heart. It's a repeating theme over weeks, months. You should probably go do that. But if it's a one-time thing, the Lord's calling me to do this, and then it just kind of fizzles out, it's probably not from the Lord. That's why we can't be emotional and make decisions. Because we have to get it from the Lord. Because He is consistent. Verse 34 through 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands and at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. And I'll see you guys later. I'm all done now. Have a nice day. Um, (coughs) Okay, it's not what you think. I I swear, it's not. I was really scared when I read this. I'm like, Lord, I'm not doing this. You're You're not putting me up there. I'm not reading it like I want to leave. I want to be alive. I want to go watch some football with my family, enjoy some dinner. I don't want to die at church today for reading this, this scripture, okay? But really, all Paul is addressing here is a cultural issue, right? So during this time, it's not like, like we conduct church, right? So essentially what happened is over here, we'd have the women. Over here, we'd have the men. We'd have it separated. You wouldn't sit with your spouse in church. It's just a cultural thing. So what Paul is saying is basically don't disrupt the church service, so I can't have my wife over here, and me be so over here, and she's like, hey, Josh, what did Pastor Johnny mean about I should love my neighbor? I don't really think our neighbor's a good person. What do you think he... That's, we shouldn't be doing that during church. It's rude. It interrupts. And that's all they're saying here. Is it shameful? It's not, because you're interrupting the Holy Spirit. You're interrupting the work that's going on. And that's all that's being said here. But now if you think about this section again. So we got, again, we got... Teaching. We got this guy proclaiming the word. We got tongues over here. We got 
interpretation. We got that guy reading Psalms, and then we got this lady yelling over her husband over here, and hey, what do they mean? And this guy's all, no, 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 no. And this person's like reading from, and it's just crazy. And that's what was happening during these church services yelling, screaming, tongues, languages you can't understand, word of the Lord. It's just out of order. And again, Paul comes and says, Order in the church. Stop. This is not the way God operates. He is not the author of confusion. So if after the church service was done, you would go to your husband and you would ask him, honey, what did he mean by that? Because your husband is your spiritual leader and he should, should help you. He should build you up. He should pour into you if you something you don't understand at church. So we shouldn't be blurting out in church. Phew, got through that one. Good. I'm a little worried about that section. All right, verse 36 through 38. Or did the word, of God, or did the word of, the, of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So this is what happens when you challenge someone, right? This is what Paul is doing here is he's challenging this church. Much like when Jesus came around and challenged the Pharisees, he made them look less spiritual. He took away their superiority because they felt like they were better than other people. So that's what Paul is doing here. So anytime you challenge someone in truth, their pride puffs up. Like a cobra. It's like spit, ah, get away, get away, right? Because it's, it's uncomfortable. The truth convicts us. That's what it does. So that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, did the word of the Lord originally come from you? Like, are you God? You think you're a God? Did you write the Bible? Do you make the rules? So he's putting them in check. He's putting them in their place. Was it only you that it reached? Like, are you something special that the Lord only speaks to you? I don't think so. That's not why Jesus died. He died for every person. So he's rebuking these people. And that's the thing. We cannot argue with the Lord at the end of the day. And that's what he's doing. He's using the scripture. He's using the truth of the word of God to rebuke people. Right? Same thing when I witness to people and I explain the good person test. And you shouldn't, did you ever lie? Okay, it means you're a liar. Did you ever steal? Yeah, you're a thief, right? That means you're a sinner and you're going to the lake of fire. And they're like, no, that's not true. I am not going to the lake of fire because I'm a sinner, because I lied. And I say, whoa, I didn't write this. This is Lord speaking. Don't be mad at me now. I didn't write this. I'm not God. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just telling you what it says. That's all I'm called to do. So Paul says, if you're going to be ignorant, be ignorant. You know, I'm going to give you this truth. You can accept it. I'm just trying to help you out. But if you don't want to accept it, that's cool. That's between you and the Lord. But that's the thing is you can't argue with God. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. God will always have the final say. You're not going to get before the great white seat throne judgment and be like, Lord, I don't think that was fair that just because I lied, he's going to be like, next. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Lord has the final say. His word reigns true. And the law was not meant to save us. It was meant to show us that we're sinners, to show us that we need Jesus. That was the whole point of the law. It wasn't meant to be kept perfectly. It was meant to be kept imperfectly to show us that we need the sacrifice that Jesus made to save us. 
Because God always has the final say. And then finishing up verse 39 through 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Right? So Paul is bringing it back as he wraps up his topic with desire. So desiring prophecy, desiring spiritual gifts, desiring edifying each other, desire encouraging each other. An orderly and decent church operation. The way God attended so the purpose of the body of Christ can be fulfilled. Which is to change hearts. And to save souls. It's to be a place where people can come and get fed by the word of God. A place where we can come and desire to use our gifts with open hands to bless other people. A place where non-believers or new believers can come and feel the presence of the Lord, the living God, for the first time. And see him conduct the service with power and authority through his will. A place where souls are saved, where hearts are redeemed, where spirits are strengthened. A place called the house of the Lord. And that is how we should operate. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this message, Lord. And we thank you just for these last three chapters. I thank you for these three chapters, Lord, and just allowing me the opportunity to serve you and to use my gifts to strengthen your people, Lord. It's been so humbling. I thank you for the truths we learned that we all have spiritual gifts, Lord, and just because we're maybe not as gifted as other people doesn't mean we're less spiritual. It just means we're different, and we're all important in your church. And we thank you just for the chapter on love that we can understand the love of God on a deeper level that it's an action, not just an emotion, Lord. That you love us in spite of us. That you love us no matter what we do, in our sin, out of our sin, Lord. You are love. It is not conditional on us. It is simply because of who you are. And I thank you that you just show us the outline of how our church service should be conducted, how order in the church should be handled so that you and your will can be accomplished among your people for your children, Lord. I thank you for this time, for this opportunity, for these people. And we just praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.